0: The truth behind the BS. It's just very satisfying to hear the truth about everything that's going on. Wake up with Bernie and Sid in the morning. Weekdays, 6.30 to 10. Bernie and Sid, you guys get me going in the morning. I say I love you and you're awesome. Streaming on the 77 WABC mobile app. This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief,
1: David Wildstein. Hello, everybody. I hope everyone is preparing to hunker down and stay safe as Hurricane Henri prepares to move toward the Northeast. And please, please be be cautious as, as the region prepares for, for high winds and heavy rains, flash flooding. Uh, I saw a description of an angry ocean. And because this show focuses on politics, it's fair to point out that weather events are frequently leadership tests for governors. And while all of us hope that everything turns out fine, keep an eye on the actions of the governors of New Jersey and New York. They are, like the rest of us, stakeholders in what happens. And for Governor Andrew Cuomo, Hurricane Henry is potentially the last opportunity he will have in his career to impress the people of New York before he leaves office on Monday. And New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is in an election year. And while while I'm certain he hopes that the storm passes his state with minimal impact, uh, A major weather event offers both opportunity and risk as he seeks his second term. And in the event of of power outages, the governor will want to get a handle on how quickly service can be restored. He'll probably call utility company CEOs just to say that he has in order to be able to report the outcome. If he needs to, the governor will visit the state's emergency management center in Jersey. It's called The Rock Uh, He'll be briefed if the situation warrants. Watch for Governor Murphy's staff to book him on television and radio interviews. And frankly, the the key to the governor's approvals in New Jersey has been a strategy to take him direct to the people uh, through a barrage of of media appearances. Uh, On the Saturday night before Superstorm Sandy hit New Jersey in 2012, uh, so it was two days before, Governor Christie and I were together at at a wedding. And and we talked about the nascent storm, and I, I remember him saying, I know how to do this. I've got this. Uh, well, I'm, I'm certainly no fan of Christopher. Uh, it's no secret that the guy knew how to manage a weather event. He got the politics of it. That's where he, he was at his best. And I have two great guests on today. I, I know all of you are going to want to hear everything they have to say it four twenty I'll be joined by Ryan Peters. He's a, a New Jersey State Assemblyman, also an Annapolis graduate, a Navy SEAL team commander. He still commands a reserve unit SEAL team. Assemblyman Peters has completed three combat deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I'm going to ask him about the Taliban taking control of Afghanistan again and Gannon about and about New Jersey politics. So I promise you won't want to miss a word of that. And coming up at 435, I'll speak with Fred Guttenberg. He's a man who has turned a a horrendous personal tragedy into a mission as one of the nation's leading voices to reduce gun violence On, on February 14th, 2018. Guttenberg's fourteen year old daughter Jamie was shot and killed in Parkland, Florida. Jamie was one of seventeen who was murdered that day, and her father has now committed his life to the issue of of gun control. He's a he's a native New Yorker, he's no stranger to New Jersey. He's advocated for stricter gun laws, and I'm going to ask him about the race for governor, so don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss anything he has to say either. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. A new Monmouth University poll was released this week. It was was good news for Phil Murphy. The poll, Patrick Murray's Monmouth poll, is the gold standard for measuring public opinion in New Jersey. And the... The poll puts Murphy 16 points ahead of Republican Jack Cittarelli. Murphy's lead, 52-36, and in polling you you look to see if a candidate is over 50%. That's where you want to be. This poll was among registered voters, not likely voters. According to the Monmouth poll, Murphy's lead could be anywhere from 11 to 19 points. That all depends upon different turnout models. The biggest problem for Chittarelli is that most New Jerseyans still haven't heard of him. Murphy's favorables, we'll, we'll know what his job approvals are when Monmouth releases them on Monday. But Murphy's favorables are at 4833. Uh, Chittarelli's favorables are at 2612. With 51% of registered voters in New Jersey having no opinion of him at all. There's no rocket science in, in what I'm about to say here, which is that voting begins in about four weeks. And if people don't know who Jack Chidorelli is, it's it's going to be hard to, for him to get votes beyond members of his own party or among those who have already decided that they don't like Phil Murphy and they're not voting for him no matter what. and And it comes as no surprise that the two issues New Jerseyans care most about right now are COVID and taxes. And combined, the polls showed that those issues were the top priority of more than 8 out of 10 New Jerseyans. And and so this, folks, is the battleground where the campaign will be fought. The Monmouth poll asked who people trusted more to handle the pandemic. Voters picked Murphy two to one. Uh, among independents, these are the people who who don't formally identify with one political party, Murphy leads on the pandemic leadership issue by a wide margin. But when it comes to who they trust more on taxes, Murphy and Chittarelli are statistically tied. Again, it, it, there's, there's no brilliant analysis involved in this. Chitterelli needs to convince voters that he is going to lower their property taxes. That's why he's, he's up on TV right now with ads on taxes and, and pollster Patrick Murray said there's a path to a Cittarelli win. This is Jersey, after all. I mean, Democrats haven't reelected a governor in 44 years, and 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 pollster uh, Patrick Murray told the New Jersey Globe's Joey Fox this week that Cittarelli's path to victory is largely out of his control. What what Murray means is that Cittarelli's dependent upon a major misstep by by murphy or or has he said some intervening event that changes the context of this election and he said that either covid must change drastically in a way that has negative effects for murphy or murphy has to mishandle something that it, within the next two months that changes the the mostly positive view new jersey have over his handling of the pandemic and, and according to the pollster, again, one of the best pollsters in the country, Patrick Murray, Chidarelli has to be ready to jump if that happens. But the problem for the Republican nominee is that he can't, uh, will be if he can't make that happen. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, so let me ask you a question. And, and since this isn't a game show, and you're you're either listening on your radio or you're hearing the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on one of your devices, you're you're not being held accountable for your answer. But can you name the lieutenant governor of New Jersey? And according to the Monmouth poll, and I, I found this entirely disappointing. Most people cannot. The poll found that 66 percent of New Jersey voters said they've never heard of Jill Oliver. And that's that's disheartening because Jill Oliver spent. Four years as the Assembly Speaker. She's been holding public office for 27 years. This is her third statewide campaign. The poll found the same thing about the Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor, Diane Allen, also a trailblazer. She spent 22 years in the legislature, more than a decade as a a TV newscaster and anchor. Uh, Yet 80% of New Jersey doesn't know who she is. And, and I'll be the moderator for the lieutenant governor debate in October. I hope people watch because both of these candidates, whether you agree with them politically or not, they're part of the fabric of New Jersey, and and people ought to know who they are. Uh, governor Murphy signed a law on Friday that makes... Deals to house ICE detainees in local jails and and prisons illegal. So so no more contracts with immigrations and customs enforcement agreements that that pump some real money into county governments and created a decent number of jobs. This was a hotbed issue for progressives and, and the signing of the new law. It's a victory. Make no mistake, a victory for the progressive wing of the New Jersey Democratic Party who who fought hard for this. Still interesting that. Governor Murphy didn't make a big deal about it. He his office simply announced he'd sign the bill. No fanfare, no no bill signing event, not even not even a quote from the governor. And and that tells me and 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 you know probably for the Third time in, in just a few minutes. No rocket science in saying this. The governor knows he doesn't have a home run on this issue. This is this is one that's that's, that's mixed in terms of how the public feels. The the people who wanted to put a stop to letting counties enter into agreements to hold ICE detainees, uh, they're already voting for Phil Murphy, and he's sitting on a double digit lead. He doesn't want to offend the middle right now, and and and. And that's, that's what happens in politics. Uh, that's, that's how you have to deal with the balance. Uh, I will be back with Assemblyman Ryan Peters, Navy SEAL team commander who served in Afghanistan. We're going to talk about the Taliban retaking control of that country. To be clear, he'll be speaking for himself and not for the U.S. government. And coming up at 435, I'll speak with one of the nation's leading voices on gun control, Fred Guttenberg. His story is extraordinarily compelling. His daughter, Jamie, was just 14 when she was murdered in a mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, three years ago. You will not want to miss anything that Ryan Peters or Fred Guttenberg have to say. So please stay where you are, and we'll be right back. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on talk radio 77 wabc
0: the following is a paid program the views expressed by the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily those of 77 wabc and red apple media
2: the nls braille and talking book program gives patrons the freedom to read their way listen to their stories
3: when i lost my sight the only thing i had was reading And it was like therapy to me. NLS has uh, pretty much anything you possibly want to read. just can't recommend it enough. It's a free service. It's amazing how much you can get.
2: I have used every means there is, I think, of getting access to the National Library Service books.
3: If you want to read in electronic Braille, you can. If you want to read on your phone, you can. If you want to read in hard print, you can.
1: Everybody can read the way
2: they want to read using this program. And it's a program worth looking into. For more information about the National Library Service for the Blind and Physically Handicapped Library of Congress, visit loc.gov slash thatallmayread or call 1-888-NLS-READ.
3: Let's talk about America. Not taxes or tweets or the issues that divide us, but how incredible our country is left, right, up, down, state lines to winding coastlines. Whether you come home to a crowded city street, tree-lined suburb, or sleepy small town, everyone deserves to live in a clean, green, and thriving community. And we all share in the responsibility to create beauty that ripples from one neighborhood to another, and one block to the next. We are keep America beautiful the nonprofit working with millions of people just like you to end littering, improve recycling, and beautify our communities. Because every mindful action and sustainable habit has a positive impact, and it all adds up. Learn how you can join Keep America Beautiful at kab.org. Together, we can do beautiful things.
2: I expected it to be a lot easier.
1: I didn't know what step to take next.
2: I was transitioning from the military. I was a vehicle gunner. An avionics specialist. I missed my unit, my family. Playing with my daughter, I would felt like a stranger. I didn't have a clear sense of
1: what to do next.
0: And then I thought, if I'm going through this, other veterans have gone through it too, right? So I reached out and I saw that I wasn't alone. Go to maketheconnection.net to learn how other veterans have overcome the challenges of transitioning out of the military. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y?
4: Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the why. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the why as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire
0: communities. Introducing the why. We're so much more than a place, we're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more.
4: Good afternoon. It's
0: This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief,
1: David Wildstein. Ryan Peters is a two-term New Jersey Assemblyman. He's an Annapolis graduate, Navy SEAL team commander. He completed 3 combat deployments in iraq and afghanistan assemblyman peters how are you
5: wonderful david how are you thanks for having me on
1: i'm doing well thank you for coming on it and and we'll be clear to everybody uh i'm going to ask you some some questions about what's happening in afghanistan and you weren't you're speaking just personally and and definitely not for for the the branch of service that you served in
5: Hundred percent correct. Thank you for that clarification, David.
1: And, and Assemblyman, you, you served in Afghanistan, Navy SEAL. You're still a reservist, and, and thank you for your service. You watched the Taliban. You watched the Taliban retake Afghanistan. What What is your take? I did.
5: Um, I mean, certainly broad ranging. I'd say um, you know, just speaking to the veterans and armed services people right now is. You know, you did a great service. I was over there. Uh, I fought for freedom. I will always fight for freedom. I saw we made a difference there. Um, and you don't get to pick your wars. So, um, you know, our, our Vietnam veterans and everybody who who were told they fought in a losing war, they still went out, were willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, fought bravely, fought for freedom. And uh, everybody did a good job. Keep your, your head held high. And, uh, you know, there's no shame in this. Horrible withdrawal. It doesn't reflect on our service members who went out and fought for freedom and always will. So, um, watching, I guess, the, the withdrawal unfold is disappointing. Um, you know, again, in my personal capacity, it's. I think it's a it's a political failure. We went for a political win to say that on the 20th anniversary, September 11th, that we would say we've ended a forever war. And I think it's a a gross misstatement. And uh, we're seeing the after effects of that. So, yeah, it's very disheartening.
1: And how have how have the Afghan people and people that, that you you met and and worked with how how have they changed since since pre nine eleven
5: well I, I mean a lot, and that's where I think you know we we made a difference and I could see and say, look it's been twenty years so when you, we when you go in there and you look at literacy rates have increased, university education has increased there's cell phones there they've seen what freedom looks like the Afghan national security force saw what it's like uh to fight a professional war and to fight against an insurgent that wants to set you back and um you know for me it's very difficult because when we say the afghan people there and americans are there um and they've got you know there's five thousand people holding out for the uh, kabul international airport um you know it's tough to see to say that because i've seen their faces i've met those people it's very personal to me and i know them there um to just see that is, is just—it's heartbreaking to really just watch how we've we've done this failed withdrawal. Um, it's just—I can see those people. I know those people. I know the changes they've seen, and I think there's still hope for them, even though um, you know the, the days right now look dark. I think there's always hope, and uh, there's always willing to people to fight for freedom.
1: And how will I mean? What do what do you say to the women of Afghanistan that have seen? change in in their in their in their their civil liberties over, over over the last 20 years what what do you say to them now i think to
5: hold hope right in 1996 when taliban took over and they treated women like property and uh they said they couldn't get educated they weren't allowed to be to, to learn how to read they weren't allowed to leave their house without an escort um you know, you've seen the changes that have happened in 20 years, and no amount of global pressure will allow that to go back to the way it was. Even the Taliban themselves, even though I think they're not being 100% forthright, um, are saying, hey, look, we're, we're going to try to be more inclusive. We we won't do what we used to do. Um, again, I don't believe them, but I think global pressure now and people know enough of who the Taliban and what they believe that we won't let it go back to that um, and that the current environment isn't going to be forever and that people will wake up and say, no, we should not allow these human rights abuses and allow women to be mistreated again and, and sent back into their, their houses to be treated as properties like donkeys and cows. It's just it's not going to happen. Um, and hopefully the U.S. realizes that and uh, and comes back in. You know, I think this this whole notion of it's going to be a forever war. Um, no, it wasn't. We looked at it and we, we actually didn't really surge until 2009. And then, you know, we went to an advise and assist role and things were doing fine. I mean, you know, we were working on it. I think the biggest failure is not establishing an Afghan Air Force. And, you know, that, that's what cost them when they said they're going to go head to head with Taliban. But the, the notion, I mean, just in, in 20, 2019 and 2020, um, you know, less than 100 U.S. coalition casualties there. That's not a forever war that we're fighting every day that we're in there and, and hard fought. Um, you know, that's an advice a assist role when we're fighting against for foreign policy decisions to keep, you know, Russians from interfering and from China to coming in and creating another uh, failed state for a haven for terrorist attacks to launch. You know, there were a lot of important things we did here, and we just said, no, we're going to take the, the political easy way out and say, no, we want to end this forever war. And. And, you know, uh, Joe Biden and then Andy Kim as his supporter said, yes, this is the greatest thing ever. And now they're not owning it. It's just unfortunate. They went for the quick political win and now lives are, are being lost and hanging in the balance because of it. It's just it's a horrible situation to find ourselves in now. But, um, you know, we, as with all things, as an eternal optimist, we can always turn things around and we'll never let it go back to the way it was in, in 1996 and the early 2000s.
1: I'm speaking with Navy SEAL Commander Ryan Peters, a Republican Assemblyman from Burlington County, and, and just a month ago, there were polls that showed Americans, I mean, largely supporting President Biden's decision to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. Now, now the president's approvals on foreign policy have dropped. Uh, I saw a, an Associated Press poll within uh, the last day or two; it shows a majority of Americans still want out of Afghanistan. Why? Why don't more people in the U.S. uh, uh, feel that that the United States should stay in Afghanistan in order to make sure the Taliban is not in charge?
5: Well, I think we just didn't get the full grasp of what was going on. And as people wake up and go, oh, I understand. We were there in an and assist role to help a local populace there establish their own freedom, have self-determination and win their own liberty. And we were there to help. And really, you know, the biggest thing we said to them, and it was an unspoken agreement was look, when you, as the you know, the ANSF, go head to head with the Taliban, it's a fair fight until the U S comes in with close air support. And you know, engages with the enemy and, and makes it an uneven battle and fights them back. That's how we've kept them back. And we should have helped them establish an, an air force that keeps them there and said, yeah, these are free people that were fighting for their own freedom. And we were there to help. It wasn't our war. We weren't invaders. And I think there was a thought of just when we thought about Afghanistan, it was this, okay, 2001, we're going back to stop the people who, who had the safe haven to launch the 9-11 attacks. It morphed into helping a, a society remain free. And when we just abruptly pulled out and said, we're not going to do anything. And then the Afghan National Security Force said, well, we don't, it's, it's a head-to-head battle and no one's going to have our back. The president fled, the Taliban marched in. And now U.S. is looking at it and saying, we have U.S. planes flying out of Kabul with free people innocent people sitting on the airplane hanging on and falling off from great heights because they want to get out of here wait maybe it wasn't this forever war that we were engaged in combat operations every day that we shouldn't be involved in maybe it was a great venture to help a society remain free and to look at and and establish their own government like we are blessed to have in the United States, maybe we shouldn't do that. And I think when America wakes up and looks at that and says that was a really good thing, um, you know, and, and wars are, are, should be the last resort, and we should engage in political negotiations with those. But the Taliban are a hard people. Like I said, fighting in Iraq and then fighting in Afghanistan are two separate places. The Afghans were true believers in the Taliban, and they said, this is the one way, we're gonna do it, and we don't wanna negotiate. And in that sense, you know, you have to meet force with force, and we were doing that, and we were battling them back, and we were keeping the cities free. And then when we just abruptly leave like that and leave an entire country hanging the balance, it's going to have implications beyond just saying um, we're fighting in Afghanistan. We made a deal with our partners and now they're what is the American word when we say, we'll be there, and then we just leave. I mean, just to give you a short story, I was a a tactical interrogator on one of those deployments, and, you know, real quickly, you would go inside the house, you'd clear it, you'd find the high-value target, and, you know, as the house is secure, I would take the HVT, the high-value target, into a closed place, usually a bathroom with an interpreter, and you talk to them, get quick intelligence while they're in shock value and say, where's this? What's this? Do you have any weapons in the, in the house? And there was one time where we, you know, we had some time. The guy had given me all I needed and we were done searching the house. I said, why are you doing this? And he goes, well, because you guys are going to leave here, and the people that you that are going to remain here the Taliban, and they're going to kill us all, so I'm on their side. And I, was, and I told him, it was 2008, I said, not a chance, we're here to change this nation for you, and he said, we'll see, and unfortunately, you know, 12, 13 years later, he proved, uh, he proved me wrong, and I think that's going to harm us in the long run.
1: Wow. Well, Assemblyman Ryan Peters, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for for your service to our country and I know you're still you're a reservist so you you know you 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 may still be deployed yet before before your your time uh is over in the Navy. So, so oh, thank absolutely. you
5: I, I hope to be, and I hope to do another deployment and always go overseas and, uh, fight for our great country because this, the the freedoms that we take for granted in America are, are people are dying for in other countries. And I'm always willing to go over assist and, and make the ultimate sacrifice or do what I can to fight for freedom for America and to help other people. So, um, yeah, we can, and it's, it's my brothers and it's my friends who were there, uh, helping secure, uh, that airport. And, uh, Hopefully we can stay there and, and just save some more American lives and, Af- and Afghans and our interpreters and our partners uh, until we really turn this around and wake up to, to what we've done wrong here and, and right this ship. So thanks for having me on, David. And uh, anytime, I'd love to be on here
1: thank you very much we'll 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 have you back soon to talk about new jersey politics but but thanks for your perspective I, i appreciate it and we will be right back with fred guttenberg one of the nation's leading gun control activists so don't go anywhere you won't want to miss a word of what he has to say this is david wildstein the editor of the new jersey globe you are listening to the new jersey globe power hour on talk radio 77 wabc
2: when you need them your local volunteer fire department routinely answers the call Whether it be a fire, traffic accident, or a cat stuck in a tree, there is always someone there for you. However, because of declines in memberships, departments are becoming understaffed and struggling. Here's how you can help your neighbors and your community. No matter what skills you may possess, you can make a difference. Your local volunteer fire department desperately needs your help. Can you direct traffic, install a smoke alarm, help at fundraisers? Your community needs you. You don't have to fight fire to be a volunteer. Will you make that difference? Will you answer the call? Brought to you by the National Volunteer Firefighter Recruitment Center, a program service of the Volunteer Firefighter Alliance. For more information on how you can help and make a difference, visit www.nvfrc.org. That's www.nvfrc.org.
0: We're here early before they
4: wake up. We stay late, we stay informed. We invest in the latest technology.
2: We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds.
3: We do this not because it's our job, but because this is about our veterans' lives. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll
0: be there.
2: We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We stand strong, united.
1: Stand with us in caring for our veterans. Meet Ed,
0: movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of
5: driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our roads.
0: roads. It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. I don't know why my
3: husband drinks every day. Is someone's drinking breaking your heart? You might be surprised at what you can learn in an Al-Anon family group from people just like you. Call one 888 4 or go to alanon.org.
0: It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77
1: WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. Fred Guttenberg has emerged as a national voice for gun control after his... His daughter, Jamie, was shot and killed in a mass shooting in Parkland, Florida, in 2018. Mr. Guttenberg, thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. And, and let me first say, whether whether people, and this is a politically charged issue, but whether people agree with your positions or not, no father, no person should ever have to experience the loss that you have. So, so please accept my condolences and my sympathy. Thank, thank you. What, what What should people know about your daughter, Jamie? My daughter, Jamie, was
4: a beautiful person inside and out who always did right for others. Um, You know, she was only 14, but she was someone who was already dedicating her life to helping other kids who had special needs. She was part of anti-bullying programs because she always wanted everybody who she had the chance of her life to be around to always just be treated well. And my daughter, should she be alive today would be a freshman in college, living her best life, preparing to become a pediatric physical therapist and helping other kids or other people who may not have had the same chances in her life. Gun violence, did this to our family, um, as Jamie's voice, and I, I just kind of to um, reflect on how what you had said before about this being a politically charged issue. It's not. There are folks who are on like lobby who make it that way, but doing something about gun violence is simply about saving lives, and and we all should agree we have to work together to lower the gun violence death rate to reduce the instances of gun violence and for the rest of my life that is what i will be doing
1: and you've been paying very close attention to the new jersey governor's race where where phil murphy has and and phil murphy's been a proponent of gun safety legislation you've you've stood next to him you know at, at 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 press conferences, as as he's stood up to the gun lobby, how do you, how do you rate Governor Murphy's first term?
4: Listen, um, Governor Murphy has been a national leader on the issue of reducing gun violence, and and I think when you look at things he's done to keep the citizens of New Jersey safe, with other things like COVID uh, and other issues, he's been he's been terrific. That he is a Good, decent man who takes his job seriously, and his guiding principle really is what is best for people. It, we, we see it with with what he's doing with COVID. We see it with what he's doing on his efforts
1: to reduce gun violence in New Jersey. I'm proud to know him. And I'm, I'm speaking with Fred Guttenberg, a, a leading advocate of. of gun control in in the u.s Uh, mr gunberg the governor's republican opponent jack cittarelli has said people people have a right to bear arms he said he'd lobby for the repeal of the state's ban on magazines with more than 10 round capacities tell me tell me about for people who who are who are as as for people who are parents in new jersey what is or for all new Jerseyans? what's What's the impact of, of this race, the choice between Phil Murphy and Jack Cittarelli as it, as it relates to gun issues? Yeah, no, that's
4: a great question because the, Governor Murphy's opponent stood in a, a gun range while he made some of those comments and asked for quote unquote wiggle room. And what he did is he lied. He said, listen, I'm gonna lie to you all, I'm gonna lie to the citizens of New Jersey about where I stand on this and give me the space to do that. So here is the difference. Um, Nobody's questioning the right to bear arms. So when you use phrasing like that, and when you frame it that way, that in and of itself is a lie. There is nobody questioning the Second Amendment. That is a lie. There's nobody saying people are going to be walking into homes and taking away the weapons of legal, lawful gun owners. So when you imply it, it is a lie. The 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 reality that we have now, and, and I say this to people all the time, I don't hate gun owners. I don't hate the Second Amendment. My father-in-law owns guns. My son has been shooting. But I hate gun violence. And I want to work with people who want to work to reduce gun violence. Because the next time somebody gets shot, it could be someone you love. It could be your kid, your spouse, your cousin, your friend. I want to work to reduce the instances of that violence to reduce the gun violence death rate to reduce the severity of injuries when gun violence happens because the reality is we do have a lot of gun owners in this country and we need to work to ensure that we do everything to minimize that risk so when the opponent goes and says the things that he says listen it is a lie i would listen to the current governor who's who's basic premises what can i do to save
1: lives and i'm, and I'm speaking with gun control advocate fred guttenberg I mean, new jersey's you know this i mean you're you're originally from new york you know the area well new jersey is a yeah. blue state a democratic governor yeah. uh, overwhelming majorities in both houses of the legislature yet yet the gun safety agenda phil murphy has proposed isn't law yet why not
4: um you know listen being a blue state does not mean uh, everything is easy, right? You have a Senate president who's a Democrat who has been a challenge. And and I think for many people, they take this issue and they put the needs of, of a gun lobby and of gun manufacturers above the needs of the citizens to be safe. New Jersey is proof that doing something about gun violence does require a bipartisan effort, you know, it shouldn't just be Democrats. It should also be Republicans. And and my hope, and I know Governor Murphy is working to do it this way, is that you do ultimately get the bipartisan support to continue to do the work that Governor Murphy is trying to do. Listen, he's gotten a bunch of stuff passed, and he's done things where he has shown the importance of tracking where weapons come from, for example, because, you know, that didn't happen before he was governor. And we now know that most of the weapons used in crimes in New Jersey come from out of state. Well, you know what? The citizens of New Jersey should want to do
1: something about that. It's about 80 percent. I think that's what, yeah, what it, I, what it is right are. around that number. You are correct. And I mean, how this is this is being done on a on a on a multi uh, tribe, multi branch of government track so so the attorney general of new jersey andrew andrew brock he's he's trying to subpoena smith and wesson how how important is it for the gun industry to be held accountable
4: well listen and i'm glad you asked me that if i've been asked before if i could do one thing as a result of what happened to my daughter what would it be and the answer is i want to put those executives under oath i want smith and wesson's executives to explain why they are producing certain types of weapons at a rate far beyond the needs of their defined market, why they are doing nothing to ensure those weapons aren't used on the streets to kill others, why they are taking their marketing dollars and promoting those weapons to teenagers, knowing that teenagers are not even legally able to buy them. I want to put them under oath. I want to force them to answer these questions. That's not requiring any, you know, law change or anything, but if you get them under oath and have to explain this for Americans to see, it'll be a tobacco like moment. People need to know that these companies are profiting off of murder. People need to know that somebody like my daughter was a cost of doing business for these companies. And, we should all work together to ensure that we have more governors and more legislators like governor murphy who want to do something
1: about it i'm speaking with uh, gun control advocate uh, fred guttenberg one of the things we're seeing in in New Jersey is is post-COVID a a surge in crimes and and specifically a surge in gun crimes and and this this they're saying this is a a direct result of people people being inside during the pandemic for so long what 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 would you recommend government officials do in the short term like right now while while we have an, an an emergent uh situation how, what's the best way well, to handle that? Hey, listen, but this it, it, it's actually worse than just a result
4: of people being inside. And it does get to the fact of why elections have consequences and why who we elect matters. Because during COVID, the prior administration unleashed a gun surge on America. When the economy was shut down, the prior administration classified gun shops as essential businesses. So while we were all stuck in our homes and couldn't go anywhere, we couldn't shop, the only types of stores other than healthcare and food-related that were open were gun shops. And the numbers of guns sold went up by millions to new first-time gun owners who were going through emotional things, who maybe were locked up, maybe going through economic insecurity. And so we're dealing with the reality of that surge right now. And so we need to
3: ensure
4: that we are electing people who won't impose that kind of danger on our society, but we also need to ensure that we are doing everything we can right now to to beat COVID back as fast as possible, to invest in the communities that are experiencing the most of this insecurity, to ensuring that those who are out there buying guns are truly legal lawful gun owners who can pass a background check you know we can't undo what happened before but we have to have a plan now to deal with the consequences of it
1: and and i, I mentioned attorney general Bruck earlier uh, th- yeah. this week he announced uh, indictments against members of a of a of a criminal ring they had uh He confiscated guns, illegal assault rifles, uh, uh, ghost guns, uh, large-capacity ammunition magazines. Uh, How much of this needs to be fought in the area of of gang violence and and large-scale crime rings like this?
4: Well, listen, I, I have often said that our state attorney generals are the most heroic actors in the fight against gun violence right now. Uh, because they are investigating these illegal trafficking schemes the, the these groups that are hoarding weapons by you know they're buying weapons illegally and then selling them into communities you have the issue now of ghost guns and 3d printed weapons and and so it is a very concerning issue um, and our attorney generals are the ones who are fighting this every single day right now uh, it's 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 Yes, gangs are a part of it, but there's well-funded, well-organized groups that are behind much of this as well. Who, who, you know, let's face it, the gun lobby—they love this. They, the more chaos and the more violence, the more guns that get sold. So, you know, you know, we have a gun lobby in this country right now who 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 is okay with that. Uh, And 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 we need responsible actors
1: who are going to put a stop to it. And and I couldn't be more proud of our attorney generals. Thank you. And Fred Guttenberg, thank you so much for coming on and and, and talking about your your point of view. And this this is this is clearly going to be an issue in the race for governor in New Jersey. So I appreciate you, you speaking to me today.
4: Thank you for having me, and I uh,
1: hope you have a wonderful weekend. You too. It's my pleasure to have you on. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Uh, stay, stay where you are. We'll be back to talk about more about regarding New Jersey politics on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: I'm Ben Utek. I played high school, college, and pro football, helping my team win the 2006 championship. My career ended after I suffered my fifth concussion. More than a million athletes
1: suffer a concussion each year. The American Academy of Neurology recommends athletes thought to have a concussion be immediately removed from play and assessed by a healthcare professional trained in concussion.
2: This isn't just about sports, it's about your brain. When in doubt, sit it out. Learn more at aan.com/concussion. A message from the American Academy of Neurology. With Cousin
0: Brucey. Hey, cousins, it's the Saturday night rock and roll party. (laughs) With me, I'm your Cousin Brucey. It's today. Go on the air at 6 o'clock right here on Music Radio 77 WABC. You can also hear Cousin Brucey on WABCradio.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC
1: welcome back it's david wildstein i'm the editor of the new jersey globe and there are a lot of hugely important things going on in the world right now and the the story that i'm about to tell you about it it is it is not one of them but it is it is still uh, something of, of some significance to political insiders uh, a new labor union was formed in jersey this week officially it's It's called New Jersey Forward 2021, and it's made up mostly of young seasonal employees, field organizers working for the the state Democratic Party to get the vote out. Uh, They bonded together to come up with a list of demands. Uh, mostly negotiating for more time off, and and, and I want to be clear. Uh, some people won't like hearing me say this, but I, I support unions. I I think people have a right to safe work conditions, to be paid fairly. Uh, and this is this is not a partisan issue. But this union, it's. It's it's become you know a little bit of a of an event that's been mocked. I can't even count the number of of Democrats and Republicans, veteran political operatives, contacted me after after our stories regarding you know, what it was really a sense of of entitlement, the lack of understanding about the the timetable of how political campaigns function and and. For people who've worked on campaigns, I I did this when I was much, much younger, it's long hours, it's not a lot of money, it's a a tremendous opportunity to impress people, to to elect candidates that you believe in, to to launch your your own career, and it's it's not about days off, and and it's it's not about tweeting, how you just binge watch something on Netflix while the election day countdown clock is furiously ticking away. my story, and it was a long time ago. It's not dissimilar from from others that I spoke with. Being a being a campaign operative means you have to work your tookuses off. I, I hope I can say talkuses on the radio, but I guess I just did twice. You work all the time. The the trunk of your car is supposed to be your clothes closet and that's that's just until the point where the trunk is is full of lawn signs so you need to move your clothes to the back seat of the car i mean uh, with all the the food wrappers and the massive amounts of paper that are documenting the voters you've reached and and if you don't smell badly then, then maybe you haven't worked hard enough and and when you work on a campaign you're, I mean, you're, you're' you're in early in the mornings you you work all day nonstop you work very hard into the evening then you you've got to come back and to the headquarters and you've got to document what you did all day so that all of these all of these voter outreach points can be can be uh, inputted and after that you you go out in the middle of the night and you pound lawn signs into the ground and, and you sleep for a few hours, sometimes on the floor of the headquarters, sometimes at home, and, and then you get up and you start your day again. And and for me, one of the things I like best about campaign work is that it all came to a stop on election day. There were no extensions. the The polls closed at 8 p.m. and you don't want to be the person who leaves votes on the table in a close race. You don't want to be responsible for... Missed opportunities that you can't recover from, just because you you wanted a little bit of time off. There were there were no entitlements. the The reward was winning, and the reward was your next job. and And people didn't coddle you. and And I spoke to a, a couple of union leaders, and, and frankly, they don't like the optics of this either. You don't get hired in May or June at a union and get your union card in August, and you work. You work hard in September and October, and, and get, I mean, get this. Because uh, this is what the Children's Union negotiated uh, when they pinned the Democratic Party into a corner by taking their demands public. They negotiated that they're going to stay on the payroll, I, I think, till March. Now, now, there's a chance I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just some old guy playing by old school rules and, and when I complain uh, about the way things used to be, that these are just some entitled group of children playing dress up with some union cards in, in what is very seriously a high stakes, multi-million dollar campaign. Maybe it's that. Maybe I just don't get it. But still, permit me to offer a little bit of advice to the kids on the uh, in this new union. Work hard do your job, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, work hard, do your job, don't ever, ever, ever make your candidate look ridiculous in public. This is David Wildstein, I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour, Hour on talk radio 77 WABC. And as people talk about the Edna Man women's prison, and and, and this is an issue in the in the, in the campaign this year—the beatings and sexual assaults that occurred there in recent years—and we're discussing about now hugely serious issues. But I want to tell you about the person the prison is named to to honor. Uh, Edna Mann was just she was 28 years old when she was hired as the warden of of the state's only women's prison in in the late 1920s, and she became a nationally. Uh, renowned uh, 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 specialist in prisons known for massive reforms in the area of women's prisons and she headed what was then known as the Clinton Farm State Reformatory for Women. She did it for over 40 years and while Edna Mann has achieved some immortality Uh, especially when the legislature voted, I think it was in 1987, uh, to name the prison after her. This is a legacy that's going to fade once Governor Murphy closes the prison. But a closer examination of her record might cause some questions about whether uh, her name should have been on the facility in the first place. Uh, In the 1950s, Mann volunteered her incarcerated women to participate in a study to trace the hereditary resistance of the polio virus on infants born in the prison. So so babies were fed live polio virus in their bottles and while Edna Mann was known as a reformer, prisoners were treated differently based on their race and Miss Mann created opportunities for white women to take classes to get a high school diploma and and learn vocational skills, but black incarcerated women were not admitted into that program. Uh, instead, Miss Mann believed that they were better suited to work in the fields on the farm at the prison in Hunterdon County. Uh, those inequities were clear. And, and, and I, 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 don't know, I'm not saying, uh, that she was, uh, you know, th- that she was a racist or, or maybe just a product of, of her times. Remember it's 1928 to 1968, but I would, I would imagine it's probably just a matter of time before Edna Mann's name was going to come out of that prison one way or the other. Uh, Something else to watch in New Jersey, maybe it's a big deal, maybe it's not, Judge this week ordered Rutgers University to turn over information about how much money they're spending on their athletics program. And the fight to get this information was led by a union representing full-time faculty members. It it could offer some insights about how much of a budget shortfall the athletics program has at Rutgers and, and where the money comes from. To fill that gap, the uh, the professors' union said that Rutgers is subsidizing athletes at a larger scale than any of the other Big Ten schools, uh, and they're they're taking out loans to do that. That's one of the allegations from the union. One one union leader uh, in a statement I read called Rutgers' dream of becoming the next. Michigan or or Ohio State a a pipe dream. Uh, I don't know if this issue is going to go anywhere. I don't know what the documents say. I don't know what they're they're going to uh, uh, point out. But but I think this has a, a potential to to come out and, and be something. And then and one last thing I'm going to hit on it very quickly. We'll talk about it more again. But Congresswoman Mikey Sherrill, rising star in the Democratic Party, has a new opponent. His name is Typhoon Selin. He's a Morris County commissioner, former mayor of Chatham. Compelling life story. He, he emigrated to the U.S. from Turkey in 1996. He worked as a gas station attendant and became a U.S. citizen in, in 2008. So so he is a proven vote-getter, and, and depending upon how redistricting goes, this could be a, a really good race to watch. Uh, thank you again, Assemblyman Ryan Peters and Gun Control Activist Fred Guttenberg for joining me this week. Uh, thank you always to Kevin Sanders. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you've been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.